Welcome back to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas, and I love trees. Real quick, I want to give a shout out to my buddy Paul. Last year when he moved out of our house, he accidentally took with him something that belonged to me. Since my last episode, he has mailed it back to me, and he requested that I mention him in the podcast. So here you go. Anyway, in this episode, I'm going to tell you all about the Southern Magnolia, a flowering evergreen tree that enjoys the sunny weather of the Gulf Coast states. This tree is a favorite for a lot of people in the South, mostly because of their big, beautiful white flowers, and on account of the fact that if they wanted trees to lose their leaves in the winter, they'd live somewhere other than the South. I personally love this tree because of what it's been able to teach us about prehistoric plants, as well as its fascinating role in U.S. presidential history. Also, it has really pretty flowers. One important thing right off the bat is that the southern magnolia is an angiosperm, a tree with fruits and flowers that is naturally evergreen. This isn't too uncommon of an occurrence in more tropical latitudes, but the United States is primarily temperate in climate, so it's pretty cool and special up here. If you listen to episode 6 about the Christmas tree, I discussed evergreens versus deciduous trees in general. Here, I'll go into more detail about how some broadleaf trees manage to hang onto their leaves all year round. So let's talk about those evergreen leaves. They're generally a very dark shade of green and pretty big, on average around the size of my hand with outstretched fingers. Go ahead and do that with your hand. There, magnolia leaf. What's really iconic about these leaves is that they are very thick and leathery, and the undersides of these leaves are covered in short brown hairs. When a plant is hairy like that, it's called tomentose. Having thick and hairy leaves is part of how this broadleaf tree is able to stay evergreen, and this is mainly an adaptation specifically to prevent water loss. When winter comes around and the shorter days means less nutrients, trees find ways to hold on to their nutrients as best they can. Trees lose a lot of water through their leaves in a process called transpiration, kind of like a plant exhale. A lot of plants will simply say, Okay, no more leaves in the winter. But the magnolia's thick leaves prevent an amount of that water from being released, and the fibrous hairs catch some of that moisture and keep it close to the plant. In a really rough analogy, this is like how humans have trouble staying warm in winter, so we cup our hands over our face on our exhale to keep that warmth close to our bodies. On top of that, the leathery exterior helps insulate the leaf tissues from things like cold wind and solar radiation a gorgeous feature that is also very clever and useful. Their fruits are weird. They're incredibly primitive in design. They're these woody, cone-shaped aggregates, which is like a fruit cluster. Kind of like how raspberries and blackberries have all those little bumps on them. So, a woody cone thing with a bunch of bumps on them, but those bumps open up and reveal these bright red seeds. Kind of like pomegranate seeds, attached via little white strings. It's bizarre, but really cool looking. Check out my website or my Twitter or the Google to get some pictures. On to the flowers, the real showstoppers here. So for starters, the Latin name for the southern magnolia is Magnolia grandiflora. Grandiflora means big flowers. Magnolia, in case you were wondering, is named for Pierre Magnol. 
Very quick aside about Magnol, this guy was a French botanist from the 1600s, who probably didn't pronounce his name Magnol, because French. He came from a family of apothecaries and physicians, but as a kid grew up loving botany, which is the study of plants. He followed in the family footsteps and went to 17th century medical school, but upon graduating, he decided it would be very beneficial to extensively study plants before practicing medicine. And from there, he became very engrossed in the botanical community. When Magnol eventually applied to become a professor of medicine, the king rejected him, on account of him not being a Protestant, of all things. To which Magnol replied, Gee dang, guess I'll just have to be a botanist. As someone who switched from engineering to environmental science and forestry in college, mad respect to you, Pierre Magnol. I like this tree named after you. Speaking of that tree, back to magnolia flowers. Grandiflora. These flowers have thick white petals, and the flower itself is very fragrant with a citronella-like odor. Admittedly, the flower department is my weakest area when it comes to plant anatomy, so I'm not always the fastest to comment on flowers. But there is a part of the flower in the middle called a carpal. The carpal houses the female reproductive organs of the flower, like the ovaries. So this is what gets fertilized with pollen and has seeds grow inside it, eventually becoming a fruit. The carpal of the magnolia flower is special because it's adapted for beetle pollination. Normally we think of pollinators as bees, primarily, or other insects like butterflies, or maybe bats or hummingbirds. But beetles? Those bugs are kind of rough. They've got those mandibles, you know, those big teethy things sticking out of their faces. So this adaptation has the carpal structure be super thick, so that when beetles come after the fragrant stuff that attracts them, they won't be able to just destroy the structure with their big meaty face claws. This detail is actually super important in the scope of things. Bees are super, super good at pollinating plants. There's a reason they're so iconic as pollinators. And as a result, a lot of plants are adapted to be pollinated specifically by bees. We know bees to have come into the evolutionary picture around 100 million years ago. And because of fossil records, the oldest magnolias have been dated to around that same time as well. But having flowers adapted for beetle pollination suggests that magnolias, as a family, not just this species, could predate bees. Since beetles as an insect group predate bees. Okay, so what does it matter how old magnolias are? Well, there's an area of botany called paleobotany that studies plant fossils. Dinosaur plant science, if you will. We know that gymnosperms, the cone trees, predate angiosperms, the fruit trees. But when that genetic split happened, what did the first flower look like? We don't know for sure. The first flowering plants likely lived somewhere between 140 and 250 million years ago, but flowers are rather fragile plant parts that generally don't fossilize well. Magnolias belong to a clade called magnoliids. Now, a clade is a branch in the genetic family tree that has more to do with when certain genetic characteristics appeared. For the most part, separate from the taxonomic rankings like family, genus, species, etc. Just to make naming conventions and grouping that much more complicated. But... The older we can date this branch of flowering plants in the magnoliad clade, the closer scientists can get to understanding the origins of flowering plants. So this is what I'm building up to, from beetles and thick carpels to fossil dating to clades. The first angiosperms existed in a warmer earth with an atmosphere higher in greenhouse gas concentrations. 
our planet right now is on another warming trend, largely due to human impacts and at rates faster than a lot of species can adapt to. We can still try and mitigate our effects as best we can, but to an extent we will need to adapt to a changing world. When it comes to our trees that serve so many different roles for humans, how great would it be to understand what adaptations trees had in a warmer past so that we could prepare trees for a warmer future? Before we move on to how the southern magnolia found its place in American culture, I want to say a few more things about the magnoliaid clade. I usually like to talk about what close relatives a tree has, but I'm zooming out a bit for a broader scale. So most trees that I will talk about belong to a clade called eudicots, a genetic section that is fairly young in the scope of plant life in general. The trees in the magnoliaid clade link us to our ancestral prehistory. Think about how modern birds connect us to what dinosaurs were like. Modern magnoliids connect us to the flowering plants that those dinosaurs munched on. Starting small, the southern magnolia belongs to the magnolia family, magnoliaceae, along with 250 some odd other species. Most of them other magnolias, but some fun things in there like liriodendron, which is commonly called yellow poplar, tulip poplar, or tulip tree, which happens to be the tallest tree in the eastern United States. Zooming out, the magnolia family is a part of the magnolia order, magnoliales, where you can find the tree that gives us spices, like nutmeg and mace. I'm still planning on doing a spice tree episode, or two, but there are some other trees I want to cover before I get there. Zooming out one more time gets us to the magnoliaid clade. And I know I said that genetic tree branches aren't connected to the taxonomic ranks, but they kind of are in some ways. Anyway, there's a couple really cool other orders that belong to the magnoliaid clade, namely Piperales, containing the trees that give us black pepper and kava, as well as Laurales, which contains the trees that give us cinnamon, bay leaves, and avocados. A lot of our food comes from descendants of ancient plants. I like to imagine back in the day when dinosaurs roamed the earth that there was a generation of dinosaurs who liked to eat ancient avocado toast, and the older dinosaur generation told them that that was why they couldn't afford dinosaur homes and had to rent small dinosaur apartments with five other dinosaur roommates. It's ancient food for thought. So wow, that evolutionary background is super cool, right? But imagine you're walking down the street in Jackson, Mississippi. You pass a stranger and ask what their favorite tree is. Well, you might not do that, but I'll do that. They say, the southern magnolia, of course, and you ask why. They probably aren't going to start talking about beetle pollination and clades. They're going to talk about how gosh darn beautiful these trees are. They've got those big old white flowers and those dark emerald leathery leaves that hang on all year round. These trees can get pretty big, too. The record tree in Mississippi was measured at 120 feet tall, but they usually end up between 50 and 80 feet tall. And they are really covered in those thick leaves, so they're quite shady underneath. Enough so that there usually isn't any plant life growing underneath them. Oklahoma State University, where I went to college, is covered in southern magnolias, despite being a decent ways outside their native range. I can't find any online source for this, but I know I've heard this next story in my forestry classes on campus. One of OSU's most beloved presidents was an educator back in the 1940s named Henry Bennett. Henry Bennett's wife, Pearl Connell Bennett, was 
I believe, either from Florida or visited Florida. Either way, she was just crazy about those southern magnolias, and she had them planted all over campus to give our university a real southern charm to it. And urban foresters from all over will do this wherever they can, planting southern magnolias so their city can have those nice big white flowers themselves. They can only do it so far north, though. Once you get to a certain latitude in the Midwest and Northeast states, it just gets too gosh darn cold for those poor southern trees, bless their hearts. And like how maple trees are bred into cultivars to favor fall foliage, so too the southern magnolia is bred to really lean into the genetic jackpot of those magnificent flowers. Some really nice-sounding cultivars include Alabama Everblooming, Deep Purple Dream, and Summer Lights. It's really incredible how closely we can associate different trees with the feelings of specific seasons. The first trees I ever planted were deciduous magnolia hybrids called Elizabeth magnolias. They bloomed these wonderfully soft yellow buttercup-shaped flowers in the spring. I named them Magnus and Margaret the magnolias. The wood of the magnolia tree is used for pretty general utility, but it does have herbal applications that have been used in both traditional and modern medicine. The trees contain these two compounds, hinochiol and magnolol, that for centuries have been used as an anti-inflammatory steroid and an anti-anxiety medication. I know I've said before that trees help relieve stress. This one really does. The southern magnolia is one of the pride jewels of the American South. It's the state flower of Louisiana and Mississippi, as well as the state tree of Mississippi, whose state flag features a magnolia flower. But one of the most iconic southern magnolias actually grew up in Washington, D.C. This southern magnolia, which grew outside the White House for almost 200 years, is one of the most notable trees in U.S. history. In 1828, Andrew Jackson was elected to be the seventh U.S. president. He was not a great president. He did a lot of not great things. But one thing he did do upon taking office was plant a southern magnolia tree outside the southern portico of the White House. It was his wife Rachel Jackson's favorite tree, who died just days after the 1828 election. Fun fact about Rachel, her father was actually a co-founder of Nashville, Tennessee. I thought that was pretty cool. She also reportedly hated the White House. She thought it was an absurd palace which makes it rather ironic that a seedling of her favorite tree was taken from their farm, the Hermitage, in Tennessee, and made to be such an iconic feature of that palace. But there that tree stood, shading 39 U.S. presidents for almost 200 years. The Washington Post wrote an article about this tree, and I'm just going to read you a paragraph that I really like. Quote, Long after Jackson left office, his magnolia remained. Other trees were planted to supplement it, and the tree became a fixture in White House events. Herbert Hoover reportedly took breakfast and held cabinet meetings at a table beneath its sprawling branches. Franklin Delano Roosevelt spoke with Winston Churchill in its shade. Richard Nixon strode past it as he left the White House for the last time after his resignation. In 1994, a Maryland man piloting a stolen plane clipped the tree before suffering a deadly crash against the White House wall. And for decades, the magnolia was featured on the back of the $20 bill. No tree on the White House grounds can reveal so many secrets of romance and history, longtime White House butler Alonzo Fields once told the Associated Press. End quote. Unfortunately, this tree needed to be removed at the end of 2017. 
It was an old tree. For the previous couple decades, it had been splitting and was held together by rods and wires. The average lifespan of a southern magnolia is around 150 years, and this one lived for 190. It makes us face the reality that though we see aspects of the natural world as long outliving us humans, nothing is permanent. But the southern magnolia is often seen as a symbol of fertility, of new life. This tree reminds us that though all things must come to an end, there is always something to replace them. Something to give us hope for the future. I often like to tell you the lesser-known stories of trees. Niche facts that delight me as someone who loves both nature and history. I did that still with the Southern Magnolia, but I didn't have to. A lot of people really love this tree already. So all I'm really here for is to help celebrate one of America's favorite trees. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Wherever good music exists, they are there. My cover art is by Brittany Burnett. Find her incredible photography on Instagram at BoomerangBrit. Find me on Twitter at MyFavoriteTrees and get updates on future episodes and extra goodies. If you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. <laughs>